0: You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Nancy. You can sit.
1: Thank you. Glenn, Glenn, Glenn picked out just the spe- special music stand for me That so we don't have the slowly shrinking of music stands here. Well, good morning, I'm Pastor Scott. Um, teaching elder here at Livingstone Church. We're really glad to have you join with us this morning. If you haven't turned over to Daniel chapter 7, please do so this morning. Psalms 2 is, is a great introduction into this amazing, amazing chapter in Daniel. Before we get started this morning, I just feel the need to uh, go before the Lord in prayer and orient our hearts towards him as we dive into his word. So I'm going to ask that right now we just, we bow our heads, close our eyes, and we seek the Lord in prayer. Father God, um, we are desperate for you this morning. We're in desperate need to hear from you. We live in a world of chaos, confusion. Hope is given to so many things. And so often disappointed and devastated. Lord, we need to live out that wonderful children's song, our hope is in the Lord. Father God, may your spirit, your Holy Spirit, move in this place right now as we open up the word of God. Open up our hearts and our minds to understand the teaching of your word. Lord God, I plead, Lord God, to be a vessel used by you right now. To be used by the Holy Spirit to share your word, your teaching for us to hear this day. We ask this in our glorious name of our King and Lord, Savior Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells Amen. Last week, um, we have to begin there before we dive into this text of Scripture. Last week we talked about living holy, uh, holiness in exile. It, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, after spending last week and, and, and looking at that time with, with God and that time of learning... Um, we talked about living holy. It's really what Christy was sharing with us this morning that when we talk about living holy, we're not adding codes, ethics, morals, and rules to your life, but we're saying that to live holy is to surrender one's life completely to God. It is to understand our desperate need for God to rule and to reign in us and for us to die to ourselves so that Christ may live in us. In order for us to talk about what we're going to talk about this morning, I'm going to challenge you that if you have not died to yourself and if you're not in that process of surrendering your life to God, this morning is going to be weird and nonsensical to you. If you're here this morning and you've come and you're like, I wanted to check out what what this church thing is and why people are so excited to sing such wonderful songs and, and give glory to God and praise to God. And you're here this morning and you've never turned your life over to Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered your life to him. I'm A, really glad you're here. And I want to applaud your courage because it takes a lot of courage to come and to sit amongst a bunch of people and, and, and be in a new environment. So I'm super glad you're here. And I'm going to warn you, this morning may be a really weird, and you may be like, I need to spend some time talking to you because this, like, apocalyptic literature thing that you were talking about, these images that Daniel saw are freaking me out a little bit. Because even as Christians, even as Daniel, this seasoned man of God is in great distress over this. For the rest of us here this morning who are, who are like Christy, thank you so much for sharing your God story this morning, darling, it, and struggling to continue to surrender our lives, this morning is going to help us in that endeavor as we gain this perspective in exile. And it's not Daniel 6, it's, it's Daniel 7 this morning. That's what happens when you cut and paste sometimes. <laughs> you forget to change the number. That's gonna be this morning, Okay. So when you see Daniel 6, know that we're in Daniel 7 and we'll be okay. <laughs> Daniel is in exile. The beginning of Daniel chapter 7, verse 1, we see a, a major shift in the book of Daniel. And I, I got to draw your attention to this because we move from narrative literature, we move from a storytelling mode that we've seen in Daniel's chapters 1 through Daniel chapter 6 Stories are being told, it's, it's easy to read, it's, it's very, you know, like you love, we love stories where people who, who get a lot out of story, but all of a sudden, we're going to change gears and the, we're going to see a shift not only in the type of literature we're reading, we're going to go from story to now prophetic or ap- ap- oh, if I got that, apocalyptic, say that five times fast, literature, okay? It, it, Daniel's going to see a vision, he's going to see a dream, and, and it's going to be of things to come. And it's going to be terrifying and it's going to be scary. And Where narrative literature tends to be a lot more concrete. When we tell a story, we understand a tree is a tree, right? When you, when, when, and when we hear Nebuchadnezzar fell down and acted like a wild man, we can, we can picture that in our minds. And when he said that his fingernails were like claws of an eagle, we're like, oh yeah, he's got long fingernails and they're, they're dirty and they're nasty. And we get a clear picture of that. But all of a sudden, when we move into apocalyptic literature, a tree necessarily isn't a tree, You're like, what's going on here? And water isn't necessarily water. And you're like, how in the world do I make sense of that? I want to, before we dive in and and talk about this this morning, there is kind of a trap that we can get into. And and some of you may be really excited, be going, sweet, we're diving into apocalyptic literature. Pastor's going to define all of these things for us. And he's going to say, this is this, this is this, this is this. And and Jesus is coming back in 24 days, right? I'm not going to do that this morning. And I think to do that to apocalyptic literature is to miss the point. You see, if God wanted things clearly spelled out for us, he would have told us exactly what it was. There's a mystery that enshrouds apocalyptic literature. And I am not going to attempt to know the mind of God this morning. But rather, we are going to study this Because Daniel was given this vision at his time in this season of life for a purpose and reason. And if we're going to study the scriptures in their context and try to understand them in their context, then we want to know why God gave this to Daniel at that time. And how that encourages us, challenges us in the day and age we live today big introduction. I know it was long and lengthy, but we're, we're making a huge shift here this morning. So as we dive into this, the first thing that we read in Daniel chapter 7 verse 1 is, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and the visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Okay, so Those of you who have been kind of following the chronological timeline of Daniel up to Daniel chapter 6, we see in Daniel chapter 6 that the Medes and Persian Empire has begun. And now we're going taking a step backward. And so if you were going to place Daniel chapter 7 chronologically within the book of Daniel, you'd place it between chapters 4 and chapters 5. Okay? Because it's after Nebuchadnezzar is dead or gone, and it's at the beginning of Belshazzar's reign. Okay. Now, there are three things that we're gonna discover as we go through this morning's passage. And this is a weird way to preach. Normally, I go through and I give you the points as we go along because I don't wanna give too much away because if I give too much away, you'll leave early, right? Because you'll be like, he already gave it to us, so I can leave now early, right? So my job is more difficult this morning because I'm gonna give you these three points and then attempt to demonstrate them as we go through this passage, The first thing I want you to see this morning as we look at this text is kingdoms come and go. Earthly kingdoms come and go. The second thing that we're going to be seeing as we go through this morning is earthly kingdoms are very similar. And you may be saying, oh, I'm going to argue with over that one. Sweet, we'll we'll get into this later, okay? And finally, we're going to see that God's kingdom is unrivaled. I'm going to attempt to dismantle or, or, or show the theological inaccuracy of an old 80s, 90s Christian song this morning that you may have loved when you were growing up like I did when I was a teenager. And, and, and this morning I'm going to show to you how that's not actually a, a really theologically accurate song. So we love doing that together, right? Learning as we go. So the first thing we're looking at here is we see that this is actually occurring timeline-wise between Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5. Why is this significant? Well, I think it speaks into the purpose of this chapter. We saw in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar makes this incredible statement, right? And and, and there's the possibility, and it's a crazy possibility, that that we're going to get to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven, It's possible because of what we see, how God changed Nebuchadnezzar's heart and his amazing statement regarding the power, the might of God and how everything he has is from God. And so is his heart radically changed by God? The text doesn't say yes and he became a Christian and he was baptized. So we we don't know, but there's that strong possibility. But we do know that Nebuchadnezzar showed great favor towards Daniel. But this next guy, Belshazzar... Not so much. In fact, that we read in Daniel chapter 5 when Belshazzar is at the end of his reign, he he seems to be taunting, he seems to be making fun of the people of Israel as he takes the the sacred, the holy vessels that were used in the temple, he brings them before his feast, and he uses them to toast the foreign pagan god. And so he seems to have a problem and dislikes the exilic people, the Jewish people that are living in Babylon with him. And so is God giving Daniel this vision to encourage his heart that there's a new king in town, there's a new boss in town, and he doesn't like your people, but I want you to understand something. Kingdoms come and go, Daniel. And kingdoms are similar in how they're always about trying to prove their own power, their own might. But God's kingdom is unrivaled, Daniel. As you've got this wicked king that we see at the end, he does not submit to God. That this guy's wicked through and through. Don't be discouraged by this king. Understand there is one that is greater. So we see here in this vision that takes place. And then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night. And, and so we're going to see this vision broken down into three scenes. The first scene is, is described by these beasts that we're going to see. The second scene is going to be a scene that takes place within the heavenly realms. In the ancient of days. And the third scene is this one who is like the son of man as he comes. So first scene, scene one if you will. Daniel declared, I saw my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And I want you to see this as as we understand the four winds of heaven is this idea of the heavenly realms, the places where God is at, is stirring up the great sea, and the great sea often carries with it this idea of of darkness, of of chaos, of, of death. And God is stirring up this great sea to draw from this great sea horrible creatures. And so we're not surprised that horrible things arise out of the great sea. And four great beasts, verse 3, come up out of the sea different from one another. And the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise and devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast. Terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, it had great iron teeth, it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped out what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, it had, and it had ten horns and I, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, and before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. Behold, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Do you think we've changed the style of literature within the book of Daniel a little bit? Okay, we've gone from nice storytelling to what in the world's going on? We got beasts, lions, tigers, bears, oh my, right? And, and, and all of this is going on. And then you've got this fourth beast, which was so terrifying that Daniel doesn't have a category for it. He's got a category for the others, the lion, a bear, a leopard. But this fourth beast was so terrifying, Daniel's like, I I, I don't know, he's like, this is freaking me out. This is scary stuff. I don't even have a category for it. He's got iron teeth, and, and beyond that, he didn't know how to describe it except for these horns. But I want you to, before you start getting really worried about these beasts, there's something that it's very important that we see within the context here. The beasts were given their authority. They were given their power. They did not receive this unto themselves. They are accountable to the one who stirred up the waters and drew them out. So I want us to look at that this morning and understand that we don't look at these beasts and we don't look at them and go, man, they are so powerful, so mighty. Do they they rival the kingdom of God? Do they rival God? No, God is the one that stirred them to come out. Notice how we know this. Look at this. The lion, its wings were plucked off. It was lifted up. It was made to stand. It was given the mind of man, and its dominion was taken away. We'll read that in a bit. The bear, it was raised up. It was told, arise and devour, and its dominion was taken away. The leopard had its dominion, was given to it, and taken away. And finally, we see this last beast, and if you Verses we're going to read, its dominion was taken away. Four terrifying creatures, what do they mean? What do they represent? Theologians and scholars from the most conservative to the most liberal agree that these are talking about kingdoms. Now, this is where they part ways. What kingdoms? Some are adamant that we're talking about. The Babylonian kingdom with the lion, or the first one, and then all, the second one would have been the Medes and the Persians, but other argue it's just the Medes. The third one was the Persians, or was it the Greek, Greek Empire? The fourth one, was it the Greek Empire, or was it the Roman Empire? Then we talk, talk about the horns. Was the horn actually someone that has existed already within the context of history, or is it someone that is going to come into the future? And we can, I'm going to tell you something, if you want to dive into all that, we're not going to dive into all that today, Okay? There's whole systems of theology written around this. And I can give you some YouTube links and you can dive in and spend the next 20 years of your lifetime going through what means what. But Daniel didn't have all of today's research, did he? Daniel didn't have, we're not the post cross understanding, but this was written to Daniel for a purpose and a reason. Why? Well, I think one of those things that, Daniel's being given this is so that Daniel's may understand there's kingdom after kingdom after kingdom after kingdom, even in the most terrifying kingdom, is subject to the dominion and the power of God. Kingdoms will come and go, Daniel. Church, kingdoms will come and kingdoms will go. And they'll rise up and they will be terrifying. And they'll be horrible. But they will come and they will go. And the kingdoms, they're gonna be similar. And we think the moment we think we can have hope in one earthly kingdom, we realize that no, we can't. There's only one kingdom we can have hope in and that's in God's unrivaled kingdom that is to come. The second scene points Daniel in this direction. As we see, verse 9, as I looked, th- thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. We believe this to be God the Father. God the Father, Ancient of Days, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was pure wool. You know what's really cool about this? These kings and kingdoms have risen up, and the horrific and the horrible, but you know what? God remains untainted unscathed, untouched, white, pure wool. God is not, and his power is not threatened by these kingdoms. He sits upon his throne as the ancient of days, untouched by these kings and kingdoms, and he comes in a very, and this, understand, is a judgment of these kingdoms. Listen to the the language that is used here. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning with fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And the court sat in judgment. The books were opened. The second scene. A powerful scene. The third scene comes into play in verse 11. I looked and then because of the sound of the great words was the horn that was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body was destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And as for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season at a time. I'm sorry, we're still in that, that second scene. And I wanna bring something out. How many of you, if you've been in church for a while, may have heard of the, the, the uh, artist Carmen? Wow, okay, so maybe just a few of us knew this. So one of the things was Carmen wrote to these really like these, these cool songs that like pumped you up and one of them was called The Champion. Remember that? Yeah, Christy's like, yeah, I remember that. We, we got pumped up and, and, and you know, when we were in, when we were in high school, we got such a cool song, right? He got us all excited. God's the champion, right? And, and it puts God within the ring, this boxing ring, if you will, or WWE ring nowadays, right? Or, or whatever. And, and this ring. And, and God and the evil one are exchanging blows. Bull. God strikes once, game over. There's no exchanging blows. God's power in his kingdom's unrivaled. So when Jesus Christ goes to the cross and he pays the penalty for our sin, it's not to the evil one. He's paying that to the father. And there's no battle going on. There's the fight and it's over. Jesus gets up, walks out of the grave. Game, set, match. Match. There was no volley back and forth. Jesus serves it up and there's no return. So before we look at these beasts and these kingdoms and these earthly realms and we get freaked out and worried, we need to know our God doesn't play with them. He destroys them. We live in a world that that believes that somehow evil and, and God are in this ultimate fighting match. No, God is saying, my time is going to come. And you kingdoms and you earthly realms, you are going to have, your days are already numbered, they're already limited. And when God says, son, come back and take everything, Jesus is coming back. And there's not gonna be a fight, it's gonna be game over. Third scene. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. We believe this one, and commentators agree, in most part, there's always somewhere out there, that this is, is, is Jesus Christ, the true man. And he comes to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given all glory in the kingdom of that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Verse 15. Daniel says, as for me, Daniel my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. Why? Daniel, why are you worried? The Ancient of Days, the, 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 the one like the Son of Man is coming and he's going he's to rule and he's going to reign. Why are you worried? Why are you concerned? What did you see within these visions that alarmed you, that, that made you anxious? If, if God wins... Why are you worried? Continue on with me. So Daniel approaches one of those who stood there. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Like Daniel's seeing this vision and he's he's dreaming this as he's sleeping or during the day. God's giving this vision and, and he walks up to him and in this vision and he says, you know, what's going on here? And I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. And so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of all things, of these things. And what we see here, it seems to be a summary that Daniel obviously approaches this individual, whoever, the, an angel, whoever is there, and he says, what's going on? This person tells them what is going on, and to hopefully maybe even calm his spirit, to calm his anxiousness and his alarmed mind. And he says, these four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. But... The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. It's almost like he gives him this little bit to calm him down, but Daniel remains unsettled. And if Daniel's remaining unsettled, maybe it should be an indication to us something is going on here. In verse 18, then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast. This four beast concerns him greatly, which was different than all the rest, exceedingly terrifying. With its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, in which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped out what was left with his feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, and the horn that had, his, had eyes and mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Why is Daniel anxious? Until the Ancient of Days came, and the judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. And thus he said, as for the... As the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, and which shall be different from all the other kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. And as for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. And he shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. If you're wondering why Daniel is anxious as well, verse 25 gives insight. He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And he shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half time. Sinclair Ferguson, in his commentary on the book of Daniel, states this regards to the crimes of the horn. The charges against the little horn are blasphemy, persecution of the church, and some form of self-deification. God alone changes the times and the seasons. The little horn even seeks to subvert the law and thus transform society into a godless mass. It is a picture of blatant and sinister opposition to God and his rule of the world. I am not claiming to know who this horn is, and I don't think anybody really does at this point Has this person already on the earth? We don't know. Has this person already come? I would argue, just from my own understanding of scriptures, that this is something that will take place and is to come. But brothers and sisters, if this doesn't give you a little bit of a cold trickle down your spine right now, as you consider the days and ages we live in right now. Times and seasons being changed. You know what? The whole bunk that you may have learned in college that AD and BC are around who? Jesus. But guess what? They want to change the times. BC and BCE, before the common era and oh, excuse me, BCE and CE and common era. They want to move away from oh, it's never been about Jesus. Let's change those times. Let's change it. This stuff's happening. It's being accepted as scholarly. If you walk into a scholarly circle, scholarly, and you say A.D. and, and, and B.C., people are going to look at you, oh, we don't have a conversation. You were one of those Christian times. We see our laws in our nation and across this globe being changed to embrace sin, to legalize sin. And, and we see things happening in America where, yes, we're, we're free to speak and we're free to, to have these conversations with people unless, as long as you are talking in a way that is seemingly inclusive by the world. But when the minute you disagree with them, you're no, they no longer want to invite you into their exclusiveness and you get to ex- understand that they're not actually really inclusive, that they're exclusive. And we understand that the, the world is perpetuating this desire to, to see the blasphemy of God take place and become standard and to self-deify yourself. How many commercials do you watch? I mean, watching the Super Bowl commercials, some of them were downright funny. I'm sorry, the Doritos commercial, in my mind, still reigns supreme where, the, where the, they're on the monitor. Did you see that with the Dorito? that There's a baby on the monitor, and they're they're doing an ultrasound of the mama, and, and they they and they every time he moves that Dorito in front of it, the baby's reaching for the Dorito, and all of a sudden he goes like that, and and the mom starts screaming, and you just understand that the baby went for the Dorito, right? To me, that was the most hysterical one. But you see, even within a uh, total sidetrack there, but <laughs> you seemed like you were falling asleep, so I had to have it follow me somewhere. Listen. The, the what's going on here in today's society is you must have this. If you don't have this, you deserve this. It's all about what your needs, your wants are. And if you suffer, if you don't have something, that, that is not acceptable in today's society. These are evil days in which we live in. What he's describing here is, is, is becoming commonplace within the world that we live in. Verse 26, and the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and dominion and of the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Pause for a second right here. Watched a sermon this last week um, From Francis Chan and he mentions in this sermon that we are the inheritance of God and that has really been sitting with me if that doesn't blow your mind for a second that we're going to get to be part of this incredible kingdom that lasts forever and and that we are treasured inheritance of the most high God there's nothing we did to deserve that. Now, don't, don't think that that's right. I, the kids are thinking, I took out my trash this week. I did all the chores my mom and dad asked. That's right. No, and as we as adults think, yeah, I, I did this great thing at work. I, I had this opportunity to kind of get away with something, and I didn't. That's right. I'm, no, there's nothing we could ever do to earn the fact that we are the inheritance of the Most High God and that we will get to be a part of this kingdom for all eternity. And the kingdoms and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. And the kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions shall serve and obey him. Notice verse 28. At this point, we're all, I think, going, man, this is exciting. This is amazing. God's kingdom is going to reign forever. But notice Daniel here in verse 28. Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarmed. My thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed. But I kept the matter in my heart. Why, after all of this, is Daniel troubled? I think it comes in lines with Sinclair Ferguson in his book, and his commentary on Daniel comes up with four points of so what of how this impacts us and changes our lives. And I think it's beneficial to look at these. And point one may be the reason and, and should be something that concerns us as well, that Daniel is troubled. Brothers and sisters, we must not be naive about evil. Last week when I preached that sermon on living holy lives, God really did a work on me and I just really wanted to daily waken up just with this understanding of submitting to God and that this day is for Him and I don't want to pick myself back up again, but I want to stay surrendered to God and let Him live through me. And it was like I took a hot poker and I awoke something within me. And it has been a fight this week. On Tuesday night, we had Ben and Judah over hanging out with us. Christy and I had this amazing conversation about how good the elder meeting went and how it was one of the like, best ever, like crying and sharing things with each other caring for each other's hearts. And within two to three minutes of that conversation, We were at odds with each other, almost yelling at each other. And as we look back on that, there was something evil going on. And little Ben was sitting there on the couch watching this go down. (laughs) Next day or that evening, as he goes home and talks to his mom and dad, and yeah, because I came over and I asked for prayer for Christy and I, because you know what we do, we ask for prayer for one another that we're going to have this Wednesday night and. And because we got in a fight and we needed to talk it out. And and I guess I left and Jen asked Ben did, so did you hear Scott and Christy get in a fight? Or Ben said something to them in regards to, yeah, they were in a fight. And Ben and Jen asked, did you, did you feel un, unsafe in that moment? What a great question to ask. Yes. I felt unsafe. Something else happened on Thursday where there was a conflict situation arose and, and I got so worked up and I was defending myself and everything in my head was just spewing ugliness. I'm like, what is going on? And all of a, and I just hear in the back of my heart, I just feel like this, the Holy Spirit was telling me, surrender, let it go. This isn't yours to defend, but I couldn't let it go. And I reached out for prayer from the elders and they did, they prayed for me. I was able to get back to my sermon preparation, but it was like, man, there's this evil and I'm being naive about it. I'm thinking that I can. All, I'm just gonna go, and I'm gonna say, I want to surrender my life more to the Lord. I want to live surrendered to Him. I want Him to live the holy. Live. live a, I can live a holy life through Him, and Him live through me. And I think that nothing's gonna happen when I start committing to that. Brothers and sisters, when we commit to start living holy lives, it's coming. Don't be naive. Evil one's gonna come, and your flesh—you're gonna battle to your flesh to a degree you've never. I didn't know I had that issue. I guess I got that issue. I thought that was other person's issue. Can't be naive about it, but at the same time, I also don't want it to give it too much credit. Because understand who wins, who's in control, who stirred up the waters. The people of God must never be naive about the reality. I want you to hear this. The reality, strength, or durability of evil. Brothers and sisters, as long as we're here on this earth, before the kingdom of God comes, we will fight evil forces. It's a battle. Let's not be naive about it. And I want you to understand. Let's not be quiet about it. If you're facing something, if evil is coming after you, if you're if you're struggling in your heart, speak up. Tell somebody. I need prayer. Don't be alone in your struggle. Don't feel like, well, I'm going to somehow give glory to the evil one if I mention this. No. That's what they, we have. The family of God. The church is the family of God. Amen. And we rely on each other. and We come together. The reason we do this on Sunday mornings, I mentioned it last week, I think it was, or two weeks ago. I don't want you coming here to hear me preach. I want the Sunday morning gathering to be about, I can't wait to sing and to praise God and to study God's word with my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. This is about the family getting together. This is a family gathering. That's why we do this. It's for the family of God to join together and celebrate God together and so that we can have these these battles going on and we can come together and support one another. So don't feel like, hey, I don't wanna mention this to somebody because they'll think I'm weird that I got this, this evil just this week. I had a dear friend tell me, we were looking at some property together a while back and he goes, he went in a room and he walked out of that room and he felt nothing but pure evil. And he goes, I just, I, I, was gonna, I think he was nervous to tell me because, you know, but I'm so glad he did. Let's not think each other weird when we start talking about this, but let's get on our knees with one another and pray to God. I've made a realization I'm not on my knees enough this week. Point number two, and I'm belaboring, apologize, is suffering is a part of the kingdom, You're maybe at this point going, man, Scott, we had a really high note we were ending on there with Daniel, everlasting kingdom, dominion, inheritance, all that cool stuff, and now you're like bringing me down. Suffering is part of this kingdom. Romans 8, 16 to 17, and the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's part of being part of the family of God is suffering in this world together. And I want you to hear what Sinclair Ferguson has to say about this, and I think it's very helpful. That thought may devastate us, that suffering is part of this kingdom. But if we learn to accept it, hear me, if we learn to accept it, it may also stabilize us. If you come to the reality and the understanding this world is not going to be providing me comfort, hope, peace, then guess what? We'll stop looking to this world to provide those needs. We'll be beginning to look to Jesus, And this, but we understand that what the world is going to give to us is heartache, is heartbreak, is disappointment. That the, and why? Because the greater kingdom is coming, and God, God doesn't want us comfortable here. This isn't home. The home is to Come. And so when I hear people get up here and start talking about VBS, I I wish we could have little bubbles across. I mean, pretty sure there was a lot of computations going on. I've got all these excuses of why I can't serve in VBS. I want to reference C.S. Lewis said something very powerful in regards to sacrifice and in regards to giving. If your giving of your time, your talents, and your resources, if your giving is not hard or painful, you are not sacrificially giving. We are not sacrificially giving. I will tell you, we have people in our church family that will take time off from work to serve in VBS. They've done it a lot. They're going to take their vacation time and give it to VBS to pour into kids. And I'm telling you something else, and this is not a threat, and it's not a guilt thing. If you ever come in on a Sunday morning and it comes time for the sermon and I'm not here, go to the children's area because I'll be there. We didn't have enough new workers show up. You and I can open up the Word of God and read it for ourselves and study the Word of God for ourselves. They need someone to teach them. Who is going to teach them if not us? Jesus, the disciples, they wanted to come up with excuses why the children couldn't come. Dad, those kids are such a pest. Will they just go away? Jesus says, bring them here. You're not gonna teach him, I will. Brothers and sisters, this is our calling. And I'm you're like, man, calm down. Why? This is our kids. I can't. And we're gonna get kids come into this valley who have gotten some messed up ideas of who Jesus is. And messed up ideas who God is, and we get to spend just like three or four hours a day with them for five days to to pour in who Jesus really is, to live that in front of them. Man, we should be chomping at the bit going, man, I wanna be there. I'm gonna do everything I can to be there. We should be turning volunteers away, not begging to find a few. Suffering is part of this kingdom. And if you're finding yourself, life is grand, Nothing's hard. We're living on Easy Street, and my question to you is, are you living for the kingdom to come? Or are you living for the kingdom right here and right now? Verse point three: We must see past, terrible events. Brothers and sisters, we see hurricanes, we see horrible dictators rise. We see death, we see slaughter, we see horrible things take place within our world. We as Christian people should be the folks that step onto that scene, who love others sacrificially, who speak the truth of the gospel of the coming kingdom, that there is hope. We must not shy away. Our gaze must always penetrate beyond the terrible events of history to the throne of God. Only in the assurance that he reigns will we be able to live triumphantly when we cannot trace or understand his plan of victory. And finally, the kingdom of this world are not our hope. Our great hope is the people of God does not lie in the centers of world power. Our aim is not built, our aim is not to build the kingdoms of this world, but to share in the triumph of Christ. And I think more than ever in the day and age we live in, because the Political chaos and the noise that surround us is rampant. We are not to try to build our kingdom here as far as earthly kingdom, but rather we are to understand that as God's people, we're part of the kingdom now and not yet. Even this week, I, I found myself, and I'll close with this last illustration. I found myself, I think I was driving around with uh, either Robert or Glenn. And I said, you know, and you guys can get on to me this for this later, but this is just what I said. I said, you know, it, it, I'm just kind of hoping that we can get rid of the current guy. And then his vice president could step up because if his vice president was like in power or like it, the president, then man, things would be so much better. And then I go and study this passage. By making that statement, I showed one God is not great. He's not glorious because he's made a mistake by the person he's got in power. And let me tell you something, Christian church yes, we get to vote, we get to do all these wonderful things in this nation because we have these rights and responsibilities we need to do. But when that vote comes through, and no matter who gets elected, you got to understand this is going to so run contrary to the American ideal. We didn't put him there God did. So it's God's man. Right? And God's doing everything to bring about what? His kingdom and his return. So let's get on God's plan. Let's start seeing that with this perspective. While we're in exile, this isn't home, and it's not going to be comfortable, and it's going to be hard. So let's get this perspective that, guess what? Evil is present. Let's not be naive about it. Suffering, we're going to do it, but we're going to do it together. God created the church so that we can suffer together. And just another quick sidebar on that, I know, is that sometimes when we start suffering, we, think we, we pull ourselves away from the church body because we think nobody can understand what we're going through. And we weaken ourselves because the very thing that can help restore us and strengthen us in that time of suffering, we've pulled away from. So let me tell you something. When you start going through a suffering period, fight it. Lean into the Lord. Say, Lord, you gave me the church. I'm gonna lean into the church body. I'm gonna reach out. I can't, I mean, I look look across this audience this morning, but I'm not taking a mental attendance. Okay, if you are in trouble and you are finding it, I need you to reach out to the elders, to the church body, and say, I need prayer, I need support, and it's biblical. You know, when that person is sick and lying in bed, the scriptures say they are the ones that are supposed to reach out and ask for prayer. The leadership isn't supposed to magically know through telekinesis that somebody's sick, that somebody's down, that somebody's hurting. Cry out for prayer. We want to be there, but cry out for it. Reach out. I need prayer, I need support, I need love and lead encouragement. And that's why we believe so much in our life groups in this church, that being part of that life group is essential so that you can have that around you on a regular basis. We must see past the terrible events of this day and look to the throne of God and the kingdoms of this world, brothers and sisters, are not our hope. Our hope is in the lord Then you could just close out with that just keep going through it like 20 times and and maybe after we've gotten through the 30th time of singing that we might like oh yeah it is and the kingdom to come maybe a really different sermon than you were planning on hearing this morning but i think about daniel think about belshazzar the king And I hear Daniel's heart. One last thing, brothers and sisters, I think one of the reasons Daniel was also distressed is because he saw the saints being tortured, being killed. And it hurt his heart. We're in America. That's a strange idea to us, but we have brothers and sisters that are around this world that are dying for their faith today. Are our hearts breaking for them? Are we in prayer for them, for their families? Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the challenge of this passage. There's a lot here, Lord. Um, And I pray that as we spend this next week kind of looking at the DNA questions, I'm looking through those, that we might break this out and wrestle with it because there's no way on a Sunday morning we're gonna be able to handle all of this and say, yep, I got it. I'm applying this all to my life. Lord, this is gonna be a day-by-day thing as we go this week. And Lord, I need it in my heart, in my life. I need to understand and not be naive about evil. Lord, I need you to remind me this week that suffering is normal. Lord, I need you to remind me that terrible events don't don't shake my faith, don't move me away from my understanding of the kingdoms at hand, that I continue to keep my eyes and my perspective on the throne of God. And Lord God, I need to understand. I need to understand in my life, I need to live this out, that this kingdom isn't my hope. That when I look at the news, that when I look at my checkbook, that I look at my family, my possessions, that my hope is in the kingdom to come and not on this earthly kingdom. Lord, change the way we live because of these truths. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit.